Well, good morning, Wilshire. It's good to see everybody. Thank you so much for coming out. Isn't this the best August weather ever? Do you remember what August is usually like? This is amazing. We are blessed. Enjoy it. Next August will no doubt be quite different. Um, I got to say something. I've been meaning to say this for a while. Uh, uh, I love the fact that in between our communion and the collection that we do, the elders have been asking the different deacons to get up and say a little prayer. The elders uh, try to be pretty diligent about their work pastoring this flock, taking care of the spiritual needs and the oversight, and, and giving the you know, the actual day-to-day -day running and spending of the funds that you guys are contributing, giving that job to the deacons and, and trying to uh, let them, empower them to make those choices to a large extent. And so it's kind of cool that week after week we have different deacons getting up and, and uh, saying that prayer for us. You get to see those deacons and, and you get to hear their words in prayer. And I'm grateful for those men that serve in that job. That's, you know, being an elder is a pretty thankless job. Being a deacon is a really thankless job. And so as you see these men get up, I hope you'll uh, say something to them, please. Um, we've been studying the big story of the Bible, of course. And uh, Jeremy and I have been looking at what are the grand, grand, grand themes that sort of permeate the whole Bible and hold the whole story together and then reach their climax in the New Testament, in the story of Jesus and then the story of the church that follows. And um, for several weeks, I've been looking at the Holy Spirit because it's such a big component of what dramatically shifts at the time of Jesus uh, dying on the cross, being resurrected, ascending to heaven. He says, when I get there, I'm going to ask God and this new thing's going to happen. And he's going to, he's going to send down this other comforter, this other companion for you, the Holy Spirit. And then there are several aspects of that that then just sort of empower the uh, various things about the life of the church. And they show up again and again in different parts of the New Testament. So I, I had one more thing about that that I thought we probably should spend a sermon on, and that is the Holy Spirit work. What is it that the Holy Spirit is doing when the Holy Spirit is working in you? What does that look like? What is that? Jesus says in the passage that we had read, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than he will he do. Uh, greater works than these will he do. And that's a pretty impressive claim right there. Because Jesus did amazing works. You know, there are three big periods in the Bible. A lot of times people look at the Bible and they think it's just, uh, you know, these amazing acts one after another from the time of uh, Moses all the way through to the New Testament. But actually there are these peaks and troughs of these outstanding works. But the most uh, dramatic outbreak of 
if you're going to talk about miraculous works, is definitely the ministry of Jesus. Just by numerical count, there are more signs and wonders done during the time of Jesus and the apostles than any place else in the in the Bible. You've got long tracts of the Bible that don't record any miracles, uh, and then these brief outbursts. But the time of Jesus was this amazing time. Signs and wonders just abound. He feeds 5,000 people, turns around and feeds 4,000 more. Uh, you know, just to emphasize it, I guess. He can still the, the waves. He can heal the sick. He can even raise the dead, you know. And, and our minds are filled with that. And he turns around and says, oh, you're going to do greater things than what I've done. Really, Jesus? Is that what's going to happen? Really? What does that mean? Greater works. What are those greater works than Jesus? That Jesus is talking about in this passage. Um, I didn't put the whole passage on your study sheet because I had some other stuff I wanted us to look at. So I really encourage you to turn over to this uh, John 14 passage that we're looking at so you can kind of have it in your eye as we look at this and some other companion passages. What do you think Jesus means? Now I have to give you a warning to start with. I actually think this is an area where the programming of the world just can hardly help but influence how we read what Jesus just said to us in verse 12. Greater works. Well, what's greatness? Oh, well, the, words are, the world's already told us what greatness is. Jesus actually comments on that, Mark 10, 42, and there are parallel passages in Matthew and in Luke. Jesus called them and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Lording it over, exercising authority. What is greatness as far as the world's concerned? Jesus uses the terms lording it over and exercising authority. The world programs us to think that greatness must mean power over and admiration of others. If something's great, it has to be because it makes me admired or it gives me power. Money uh, is attractive to us mainly because I get to do those two things with it. I can buy the latest, hairiest, greasiest iPhone and, uh, you know, but my fantasy about that is not that I'm going to get uh, my emails one nanosecond faster than the old iPhone because I can't measure nanoseconds. My fantasy about getting the latest, hairiest, greasiest iPhone is I get to go and show it to fill in the blank, you know. <laughs> uh, I want to be admired. Or I want power. Uh, that is how we measure greatness. You're not great unless you have one of those two things or, or both. That's the world. And, and from the least of us to the greatest in the world, all of us are sort of trained to think that way, programmed to think that way. 
Um, here's, here's a thought experiment. There is a new Hollywood blockbuster movie coming out. It's got dramatic special effects. It's going to have uh, all kinds of uh, Hollywood stars that are going to be part of it. Uh, Josh Brolin is going to play this uh, really uh, amazing character. So is uh, Robert Downey Jr. It's going to be great. It's going to be about people humbly going about the work of ordinary life. It's called Ordinary Life. It's coming to theaters near you. Who wants to go? No? How come that movie's not coming to a theater near you? So it would be good to see a movie about people doing ordinary things well, but we don't want to. Movies tell us way more than we want them to. The kind of movies that attract us tell us way more than we want them to about what our secret fantasies are. And the reason why I want to see um, superheroes and super spies and super drivers and super spacemen and super laser swords and whatever else is super. The reason I want to see those things is because I've been trained to crave admiration and power. That's what I want. And so when Jesus says, greater works you'll do, that part of my brain just goes, oh, I know what you're talking about, Jesus. I totally know what you're talking about. And then a little bit later, and this is why I need you to have your Bibles open, in verse 14, Jesus says, ask anything in my name, and I'll do it for you. And and my brain just lights up, my world-trained brain that says, anything, Jesus? Because I got a list. I got some people I need you to smite for me. And, and, I, and I got some other things that I really need you to be doing for me. Anything? That's so cool. I want to just stop you right there at verse 14, Jesus. No, I don't need to read verse 15. I don't want to go any further. No, 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 no. Let's stop right there because I already know what this verse is about. This is all crystal clear to me. I know what you have to be talking about. You want to give me God's power at my fingertips to do whatever I want. And mostly what I've been trained to want is to do things that gain me admiration of others or power over them. It's really hard growing up in a world that has sold itself out 
to the false gods of power and admiration, it's really hard to break out of that way of thinking. Even when the Bible shows us the Son of God struggling with God in the Garden of Gethsemane, issuing a very sincere prayer, God, please let this cup pass from me. And God's answer is, no, this is the cup that I've chosen for you to drink. Even when the word of God tries to reason with us and shows us the apostle Paul, a person who dedicated himself to the life of God and spreading the gospel saying, I begged Jesus Christ three times, please take this thorn that's in my flesh. Take it away from me. Please take it away. And Jesus' answer was, no. That thorn is doing good in you. You're actually stronger with it than without it. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Even though we have a uniform record of the Christians of the first century dying. Though I'm sure they had loved ones who were praying that their lives be spared right up to the end. Either dying from martyrdom, as many of them did, or dying from natural causes. The word of God is trying to break us out, but but when I'm so fascinated by this idea that Jesus says, anything that you ask, you're going to do greater works than I did, that I can hardly think outside of that box. And I can hardly even read the actual words that are on the paper. I can actually hardly read this in context. In fact, in my Bible... I've actually got a heading that separates what I think is the real context of Jesus saying you're going to do greater works. Ask me and I'll do anything for you. I've actually got a heading that, that just makes a break right there as if what comes in verse 15 and following has nothing to do with what just came before. But in fact, Jesus has a picture in his mind of what the greater works look like. And he's trying to help us understand what that will be. How is it? Jesus was this amazing person who does these amazing things and he draws these huge crowds. And, and how is it that you and I are going to do greater things than that? And Jesus begins to tell us this is what that's going to be. Verse 15 if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, of course, Jesus, I was, I was totally planning on, on keeping your commandments. Can we go back to verse 14 now? I was, I was totally going to get around to doing the stuff you asked me to do. But let's go back to me having magic powers. Can we do that? If you love me you will keep my commandments. 
And Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, once you've let those words sink in, I want to invite you a little further. I'm going to talk to you about this Holy Spirit thing. Because it may not be what you think it is. Let me explain it to you. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. There's the language of this part of John that talks about the sending of the Holy Spirit. He will send you this other counselor, this paraclete, this other helper, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This spirit is God. There's not three gods in Christianity. I know we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but we don't worship three gods. There's only one God. So this is the same God that on Mount Sinai says, you know, it may be better if I just send my angel to go with you guys into the promised land, because if I go with you, I'm just going to break out and kill everybody. And Moses has to beg and plead, no, 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 we want to be your people. Please, God, please go with it. And don't, just, just let us live here at Mount Sinai. If you don't want, don't want to go with us, we just want to live with you. And God then creates the whole temple system to kind of allow God to be with his people without breaking out. That God now says that what's going to happen is God is not just going to be with you. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that God is going to be in you. Amen. He's going to take up residence in you. That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. And that's what the works of the Spirit mean, is God coming to dwell in you. Okay, that might raise a million questions most of which I'm not any clearer on than you are. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how, how, what that means. It's God. He's weird. Let's just, just, just stipulate to that fact. It is hard to understand God. But that is what the word says. I'm going to come not just to be with you, but to be in you. And, and Jesus doubles down on that imagery and that language I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet in a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. This language is extremely characteristic of John's thinking, and it's extremely characteristic, especially of this part of John. If you read this for yourself, you'll see this really deeply ingrained in this section of the Gospel of John. I will live, I will be in my Father, you will be in me, and I will be in you. The Holy Spirit living in us means God living in us, means Jesus living in us. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I will love him. And my translation says, and manifest myself to him. Make myself evident to him. So Jesus says, this is the, what the reality is going to be of this works of the spirit, this, this, this other comforter that I'm going to pray to God and that he's going to send to you. It is going to be manifested in you obeying me, keeping my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to do the things that I ask. And then I'm going to live in your life. So what are the greater works? For Jesus, I think we get a glimpse of the answer, what Jesus must have in mind. For Jesus, the greater works have much more to do with obeying Christ so that everywhere there is a Christian, there is Christ. Obeying Christ so that everywhere there is a Christian, there is Christ. That appears to be what Jesus said. I mean, later, the next chapter, he's going to talk about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You, if, you're, if you're in me, then you're going to bear a lot of fruit. I think that's Jesus' plan. But how is that greater? Because you did that really flashy stuff, you know, stilling the storm and, and healing, the raising the dead and all of that. You know, what, Jesus, can I, I really want the healing touch that you had. And Jesus says, I tell you what, wouldn't it be cool if every Christian used their ordinary touch to go comfort the sick? I healed, you know, maybe a few hundred people while I was physically on earth. How many people could be healed, helped, comforted if Christians would use just what the tools that I've already given you? Jesus, you did those. You, you fed 5,000 people and just for an encore, 4,000 more. It was so cool. Why, why can't I do that? I said, tell you what. Why don't you start with five next week? Have them over to your house, feed them, and we'll see. If every Christian does that, feeds people who are hungry. How many more than 5,000 you think we can get fed this week? Greater works. Greater works. Jesus, you'd, you could command the rains and they would stop. Couldn't I just like have that? That would be cool, Jesus. If I could just tell the rain to stop when I wanted it to stop, you know, keep people dry. I tell you what, why don't you start with this? You got an extra coat. Why don't you give that coat to somebody else who needs it more than you do to keep the rain off them? If every Christian would do that, that would be already greater works than the 12 people I kept dry that one day when I stopped that storm. 
I actually think <laughs> that what Jesus means by greater works is that he was one person. While he was in the flesh, he was one person. He was located. He, he was there. And, and what he has in mind is to live through your life thousands and thousands and thousands and millions and millions of times in all the different ways with, the, with what you've got, with the connections you have, with the life you have to live, to replicate himself again and again and again so that he lives wherever you live. And those are greater works than what he was able to do when he was limited to one single body in one place at one time, in one language, in one culture. These are the greater works. What does that look like in practice? Well, the rest of the New Testament basically is going to spell that out for you. It goes again and again and again. We get a picture of what that's like. Let me give three things that we're pretty sure we're on solid ground for what the greater works look like. Mark 12, verses 28 through 31 that picks up. with this very question. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now you're going to look at me and say, Jim, you forgot to put anything underlined here for us to fill in. And that's because I want you, in that verse, I want you to fill in the underline. What do you think out of that verse is the greater works. Just underline them. If you guessed love God, love your neighbor, and you underlined those, nailed it. What does it look like to do the greater works than the works of Jesus. It's to replicate his love of his father over and over again. You know, I mean, yeah, God gave him miraculous powers. But the point of the miraculous powers was not so that Jesus would be glorified. In fact, his miraculous power didn't help him in the end to be admired or to gain power over people, just quite the opposite. Jesus used everything he was given in order to love his father. And the greater works in your life will be just like that. Whatever you've been given, whatever power you have, use it to love God. And second, very close to that one, use your power to love other people. Jesus went around healing he ran around blessing people's lives. He went around teaching, helping people who were far away from God to come closer to God and to be reconciled with God, helping people who had 
come into his circle to be stronger in their faith. Do those kind of things. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are the greater works. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 10, verses 43 through 45, continuing on that Mark 10, 42, that dispute about who's the greatest. The great ones love to lord it over. The great ones love to exercise authority, but not so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I didn't come to follow the gods of this world, the gods of power over or admiration of. Quite the reverse, I came to serve. You want to be great? Here's what greatness looks like. The greater works are works of service. Find how you can fill a need. The way you fill a need, what God has prepared for you to do, it's going to look different than it looks for me. It's going to look different than it looks for other people that are sitting on the same pew with you. But there are some things, needs you can meet right now that other people aren't going to be able to meet. God has prepared those for you to do. Serve. Do those things. And you'll begin to fulfill your part of the greater works that God has prepared. One last passage. This actually feeds into a whole other discussion, which I don't know when we're ever going to have a chance to talk about this, but I hope we do someday. I actually think this is part of the issue that's being discussed in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. People getting confused about greatness being a matter of being admired and getting authority over others and Paul trying to set the record straight. In chapter 13 he says, you know, you you could have a gift of prophecy and knowledge and tongues. You could have these amazing abilities and if you lacked love, it wouldn't do anything for you. And then he says this in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then he ends the whole chapter. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. There's a whole long discussion as to what that verse means, but what it clearly means is this. I think everybody that talks about it recognizes it means this. Whatever you believe about tongues and prophecies and all that stuff, Paul is absolutely clear that those are of minimal importance compared to faith, hope, and love. The greater works of the Spirit in you are faith, hope, and love. Your ability to have faith, hope, and love, your ability to help other people come to faith, your ability to strengthen other people in the hope of Jesus Christ, your ability to show love and to help other people grow in love, these are the greater works. 
The New Testament is very clear that the Holy Spirit acts in the church, not to draw attention to the Holy Spirit, but to empower the church and to empower individual Christians in order to act out Christ, to exalt and glorify Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit's sword, is working on you right now as you hear my words, which I hope are in line with what the Word says. It's working on you right now to tell you what needs to change, what needs to alter, which direction the Holy Spirit now wants you to go in order to be doing the greater works. I pray that every one of us that's in this room will listen to what the Word of God, the Sword of the Spirit is saying to us so that we can respond, so that we can be doing the greater works. Amen. If you need to respond publicly, most of us respond privately, but it may be that you'll gain strength by coming forward and asking for public prayers in some way about some issue. Or, or you may need to confess something publicly uh, and, and ask for forgiveness or ask for guidance. Or it may be that today's the day you've decided, I'm ready finally to turn my life all the way over to Jesus Christ. I want to confess his name publicly. I want to turn away from the sins that have been dragging me down. And uh, I want to show the faith I have in him by being baptized in his name to begin to walk in a new life. If you want to take any of those steps publicly, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing. Amen. Sin.